Welcome to the IAC Medicine Podcast, a show that brings you closer to your medical team at Irwin Army Community Hospital, Fort Riley, Kansas. The more you know IAC, the more IAC can serve you. And now here's your host, the IAC Public Affairs Officer, Jorge Gomez. Hello, Fort Riley families. Today's show is episode number three. What do you need to know about ticks and bats on Fort Riley? Our guests today are Mr. Ron Garris, sanitarian from the Department of Public Health. Hello. Mr. Mike Hauk from the Directorate of Public Works. Hello. And Captain Peter Sullivan, Fort Riley Veterinary Services. Hi, thank you for inviting us today. Okay. Thanks again, guys, for uh, being part of this. I know that it's uh, especially a challenge to bring two people together on the same day, same time, and then much more for three people. So greatly appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this topic, especially now with the start of the spring season. It's my understanding that spring is a season where ticks uh, increase in population. Uh, what is it about the spring that brings ticks into a greater uh, threat, if that's the case? For our for our folks, uh, it's the same reason why you know people get outside. Uh, the weather is nice and warm, and uh, we don't want to be cooped up, you know, in our in our house. You know, ticks, uh, you know, they, they feel the uh, the humidity and the warmth, and uh, they want to get out of the leaf litter and uh, out of the forest. And uh, you know, they need their blood meal to you know ha- have their eggs and produce their offspring. Mm-hmm. Where in Fort Riley are ticks mainly? live what's their what's their preferred environment is it out in the wood line or is it in grass regular normal grass that people have in the yards you tell me uh yes yes no you'll, you'll see it uh you know in in wooded areas um you know when you make that transition from like a field you know to a wooded area you'll see uh, an increased population of ticks and then uh where there's like long grass uh, leaf litter uh, like tree canopy is where you'll see ticks. Now, if you have a nice, uh, well manicured lawn, and you're you're keeping your grass uh, nice and short, and you're getting you know rid of the wood piles and things like that in your yard, then uh, populations will be low. Um, okay. But we did some surveys uh, uh, last week, and uh, we we took uh, about ten spots on posts, and uh, we were we were capturing about three ticks uh, per uh, one thousand yard drag. And uh, most of the ticks that we were encountering uh, were uh, the Lone Star tick. And, uh, you know, populations right now of the ticks are, are relatively low, but uh, as the weather gets warmer, we're going to see an increase. Okay. You mentioned the Lone Star tick. Is that some? Is that a, a particular kind of tick that we need to be concerned about, or what is it about the Lone Star tick? What are the characteristics of that? Yes. Um, well, you know, the easiest way to recognize a, uh, an adult female Lone Star Tick is you're going to see like a white spot on the back and uh, yes you need to be concerned about that tick uh, because it is responsible for vectoring um, you know certain diseases like uh, ehrlichiosis but uh, you know with proper uh, ma- you know management you know wearing deeds on your exposed skin and uh, permethrin on your outfits and then doing tick checks you know when coming from outdoors taking a shower you know that will uh, mitigate you know the risk of developing any kind of vector-borne disease. Mm-hmm. Right. If I can jump in, you know, I think most people, when they hear about ticks, think about Lyme disease. 
where certainly, you know, New England, where I'm from, um, it's a lot more common than here. But, you know, it is in the area, but, you know, um, people can get other, and dogs too, dogs, cats, pets, can get other diseases other than just Lyme disease from ticks. And, you know, like um, Ron said, it's very important to do tick checks anytime uh, you're outside or anytime your pets are outside. When they come on inside, um, do a check of them. Uh, because, you know, the fact of the matter is the longer a tick stays on somebody or an animal, uh, the more likely it is to transmit disease, you know, up to the point that you get a, do- a tick that's on for three or four days. You know, there's a very, very high likelihood of it giving some sort of disease to somebody. Okay. Um, so, But just know, to clarify, mm-hmm. if kids or families go out to the parks here on Fort Riley, and is that enough of a concern that they need to start checking their, their clothes for ticks? You know, I'd say anywhere in Kansas, if you're outside, you know, you should just get in the habit of checking yourself over, checking your kids over, mm-hmm. you know, the clothes, hairline behind the ears, um, because, you know, there are enough ticks around that, you know, there's definitely a possibility that a tick could be crawling around. And springtime, you know, we're talking about ticks coming out, but... You know, any time of year, ticks can be active. As long as it's more than 38 degrees outside, you know, they'll be active. When it's colder, they go dormant. Um, but, you know, you could have a few weeks stretch in the middle of the winter where it warms up, and then you could have ticks around. Do ticks prefer to latch on to human clothing or pets because of their fur? Or is it just a matter of you just happen to be there and they... I think they're just looking for anything that moves by, and they'll drop on and kind of crawl around until, you know, they can find a spot to settle down and have dinner. So, you know, that's why it's so important, like Ron was saying, to use uh, promethrin-soaked clothing. You know, of course, not so much for kids. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't want to do that. Um, But, but, you know, use the topical things um, like off, you know, these repellents. And then for dogs and cats... You know, there are a lot of different products out there. Um, My recommendations go to a veterinarian. Um, You know, I'm not trying to say, hey, we only we have the only products that work. But, you know, some of these products you'll find in discount stores, um, they're not labeled very well. And if you end up giving the wrong thing that's made for dogs, if you end up giving it to a cat, like a permethrin product, you can kill your cat. Interesting. So. You know, for any of this, I'd recommend talking to veterinarians or medical providers because a lot of these products are, you know, basically insecticides, poisons in one level or another. Okay. Yeah. And you'll you'll see, um, you know, people out there, you know, trying to come up with their home remedies to take Mm -hmm. care of ticks. You know, uh, I've seen pictures, you know, where people have put on, you know, uh, um, dog collars on their ankles, you know, and they'll get like contact dermatitis, you know, from, you know, wearing the, uh, the collar. And, um, you know, they'll try to, you know, burn the ticks off or, you know, use uh, Vaseline. And uh, you don't want to do any of that stuff. Um, you know, when you do see a tick, you want to, you don't, first thing, you don't want to, you know, you know, freak out. You want to, you know, grab it uh, by the head, mm-hmm. you know, with some fine tip tweezers and just give it a steady pull. And, uh, you know, that way, you know, you won't agitate the tick and they won't regurgitate, you know, the pathogen uh, into the wound. And then after you take the tick off. Now, let me just back up. What if I don't have... Uh, you said tweezers? Mm-hmm. If I don't have tweezers with me, do I let it be and then go to the store and get me some tweezers, or can I just go ahead and use my fingers and pull it off my body? No, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't pull it off with... Um, with my fingers? With your fingers. Uh, you know, 
I've heard of, you know things like you know you can take like a credit card and kind of scrape it off like that. Okay. But um, what's wrong with just using your fingers? What happens is uh, you, you'll, when you squeeze the body, you could potentially introduce the pathogen into the wound. I see. Yeah, and uh, the last thing you want to do is irritate the tick to the point where they regurgitate into the wound. So you don't want to kill it, I guess, when it's on your skin. You want to you want to take it off in a you manner where it doesn't um, you know push the pathogen into the into the wound. Okay. And then you want to follow up with soap and water, and then use bacitracin so you don't okay. get a secondary infection. Okay. So right. basically, what you're saying is that if you have a tick that just latched on you and you burn it or do something to upset it, then you could, you know, kind of fast forward the clock like it's been on you for five days and you really have a good chance of getting sick if you remove it incorrectly. I was, I was going to add also, as far as when you're checking yourself for ticks, uh, a lot of people are looking for the adult ticks, the larger ticks. And the ones we always overlook are the, the nymph or larval stage of the ticks, and they're really small, so they're really easy to overlook while you're checking yourself over so mm -hmm. a lot of those you might find sometimes the next day you have an irritated spots yeah on the body so and uh, you know with the the nipple ticks it almost looks like when you um you know puncture your skin you get that little blood spot you know okay. the, you know where your your wound is healed or whatever mm -hmm. it's gonna look like a brown spot and uh you know when i see that i take you know i take the tweezers and i pull it out and sometimes i discover that's a tick so you have to yeah, you have to kind of adjust your eyesight to like a small freckle on your body. Can I feel it when a tick is doing when when a tick is on my body, or is it something that uh, you won't necessarily feel? Like, I mean, will will, will you feel scratchy? Does, is that a sign that perhaps it's a tick, or can it or can a tick do its business on you without you even knowing it? Uh, yes and no, but uh, a lot of times, um, what they'll do is they'll introduce a um, like an anesthetic. That basically um, numbs it to where you can't you know feel it as readily. Okay, so then if you come back from the the wood line or perhaps a real grassy area, even though you don't feel scratchy or itchy, you still should do a physical excuse me a visual inspection of everything. And they are large enough that you should be able to see them with your eyes, or do you need a a, a magnifying glass to see them? What what's the how small can they be? I mean. Don't do like a quick once-over. Mm -hmm. The nymphs could be about the size of a uh, ballpoint on a pen. They're, they're very small, and uh, you really have to adjust your eyesight because most people okay. are looking for that large size tick. Okay. Yeah. And they can be that small and still do... Uh, and as a matter of fact, you know, nymphal ticks are the ones most responsible for vector and disease because okay. people do miss you know, um, them on the tick checks. Okay, okay. And, uh, you know, speaking about diseases, a lot of these, um, you know, people commonly think of the target or bullseye-shaped rash with Lyme's disease. You know, the different diseases, uh, they're characteristic rashes, but that's not 100%. And uh, with people just like animals, you know, you'll see different things or you'll feel different things. Um, like for dogs, you know, for example, we think about fever, um, shifting leg lameness, so it seems like... Um, the pet will be lame in one leg one day and then, you know, another day, a different leg, um, just kind of overall not doing well. So those are all things to look out for, you know, headaches for people kind of generally feeling run down. And, um, you know, it is very important, like you said, to uh, check yourself over. Um, a lot of these diseases, in fact, pretty much all of them, once you get treatment for them, um, you know, if it's done properly, um, you can, you know, get cleared up. 
So it is very important to do these checks. And then if you see something, if you're concerned, you know, if something doesn't seem right, you know, by all means, go to your doctor, um, go to your physician, go to your veterinarian and just ask these simple questions. Okay. If a tick bites me and does its, in, injects me with, with mm -hmm. whatever, how soon will my body, my arm or my legs start to show symptoms? What Will, will I develop a, a redness, a rash within like the next two hours or does it take 12 a couple of days for it to do. You know, that's where it gets tricky because every person, every animal is different. And, you know, like I was saying, sometimes you'll see the rash pretty soon within the few days, uh, whereas other times, you know, you might not see any signs externally at all. Okay. If I suspect that I may have been bitten by a tick, uh, do I just make a regular appointment to see my, my, my doctor or do I need to go to the emergency room? I don't think it's an emergency situation as long as you can take that tick off of you. Um, you know, that's the first thing to do is just remove the tick. You know, like Ron said, with some tweezers, um, just do it carefully. And then after that, it's not something where it's absolutely emer emergency, but, you know, certainly don't want to wait a week or a month on it either. Okay. Uh, soldiers often do training out in the field and then they come back, they come home. Should the spouse insist to have those clothes washed immediately with hot water what should what should uh, the spouse at home uh, who sees their soldier come home having come back from the field what do you do with the clothes well that's, that's a great question uh, even before the uh, service member goes out in the field you know their unit should be uh, you know calling up the uh, HMPC the hazardous materials processing center you know they give out uh, DEET and permethrin and uh, you know the service member they can put uh, permethrin you know on their on their bags and you know their different types of equipment and um, you know th that will kill you know some of the crawling insects that you know crawl on their equipment and uh, when they do get home you know they they disrobe and they, they take the clothing that they have you know on them and then they can put that in the washer and dryer and that will kill the the uh, arthropod the ticks and Okay. And those sprays, you know, you want to make sure you follow the directions when spraying those, um, you know, not around kids or animals, uh, especially when it's drying. And then even afterwards, because, you know, you can get that contact on the hands. And then, you know, kids always have hands, fingers in the mouth, so you wouldn't want them to ingest that accidentally. Yeah, spray that permethrin outdoors. Okay. How long do ticks live for uh, on, on clothes, you know, without food I guess without having blood because that's I know that that's what they eat they can they can go without a meal for a year no kidding they can go a long time but uh, you know if they're in the house and you know they they sense that co2 and they feel the vibrations and they smell the uric acid and the different things that cue them in they're gonna go for that person hmm. Hmm. they're not gonna wait that year because they are in, indoors and you know they have a suitable host in there now, the nice thing about Kansas is that it gets cold enough in the winter that you're probably not going to end up with infestations indoors. But, you know, you get warmer places like Texas, Florida, you know, some of these types of ticks. You can conceivably have a dog bring in, you know, 20 or 30 ticks, and then they can basically start an infestation in uh, places of the, of the house, like behind furniture or uh, carpet, stuff like that. So definitely recommend, you know, checking over pets, uh, checking over people, and then using the different products that are available for tick control and flea control in dogs and cats. Okay, great. And how can they reach your office if they wanted to ask questions about recommended products for protection? 
All right, so we're located on uh, Main Post. We're right across the street from the Soldier Readiness Processing on Custer Avenue. And we're open uh, weekdays, normal business hours. And then uh, we also have a link from the Fort Riley website. And our phone number is 239-3886. That's 239-3886. Great. Anything you'd like to add on ticks before we move on to the next subject? I'm ready to move to bats. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we encourage the public uh, to um, reach out to Environmental Health. Uh, currently, we're located in uh, Building uh, 610, Room 202, and uh, we'll be passing out the, the DEET permethrin. It's uh, absolutely free. And uh, you can uh, also, um, we'll be in Caldwell Clinic uh, within a, a couple of weeks or so. Uh, we're, you know, in, in transition uh, to move. But uh, you can give us a call at uh, 785 Two three nine seven eight four three, and the number again is seven eight five two three nine seven eight four three. Okay, thanks. And let's uh, move on to the next subject of bats. What is it about the Fort Riley environment that attracts bats? Well, the uh, as far as bat populations, uh, Kansas is not known for to be. Uh, a bat state uh, as you you think about Missouri and some of the the states back in the north northeast uh, have bigger bigger populations of bats they have caves and mine mines that uh, they use for a hibernacula where they overwinter uh, Kansas um, the Fort Riley area we've had some history with with bats around the historic main post because of the old uh, building structures and housing uh, some of the old uh, stormwater, they, they like the uh, stormwater culverts uh, as far as uh, daytime and, and uh, hibernacula areas for roosting. Um, the most common uh, species that we have on the, on the main post uh, on the installation is the big brown bat. And this is, this is a bat that uh, uh, out of all the bats we have in the area, this bat is more uh, uh, uses ha houses, buildings for roost a lot more, or um, more uh, colonized. Uh, they they will uh, cluster, especially. You said for roost. What does that mean? Roosting is uh, would be uh, typically this this time of the year, uh, the warmer weather, uh, maternal colonies where the females will actually colonize. Uh, they will get in small clusters of anywhere from, um, I'd say common around here would be 15 to 40 mm -hmm. uh, females in a, in a maternal colony. And so what they look for is a warm area. And this is where we have, it's, it's a seasonal uh, issue a lot of times where we'll have the bats that like to find the attic area space where it's warm and they'll have their pups. And uh, where do they live in terms uh, in when they're when they're in the wild outside of uh, buildings? A lot of times that the big brown bats, they will use the building structures uh, to roost as far as their place to stay. Now, they might not be in big numbers. They'll they might roost in smaller uh, numbers. The males, the males tend to uh, roost it by themselves. Uh, they could be anywhere from a, a stormwater culvert. Uh, to they can even roost in in trees uh, on most of the time on the outside buildings if there's any cracks and crevices they can mm -hmm. get into, but you will find them in interior in the in the attics every once in a while. Okay. Uh, 
but the during the warm season, uh, mainly from May, the end of May through July, uh, those maternal colonies are usually the problem uh, on the installation because they'll move interior, the attic spaces of houses and buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they have their pups, then we have issues with the bats inside the building. Sometimes they're moving around. And a they, pup they, is a uh, baby. The babies, bat. The, mm-hmm. and uh, they end up. Uh, they can end up in in the living space. You know, they can come out of the attic and end up uh, in somebody's living room or in office space, and that's where the the health concern is okay. with the bats. Will they attack humans or animals, pets? Uh, no, they. Uh, there's a lot of education that's needed with bats because uh, there's misconceptions with, as far as bats being uh, uh, a really bad mm-hmm. uh, to to be around. They, this this animal is a, uh, a real benefit to the environment. Uh, they are probably one of the most beneficial mammals uh, that we have in the United States as far as uh, pest control. So bats are mammals. Yes. I thought they're not rodents. No, they're not rodents. <laughs> In fact, they're probably more related to a human than they are a rodent. So, Interesting. Okay. Um, but they're very beneficial. Uh, uh, Kansas being a big agricultural state, uh, they're very beneficial because they eat a lot of agricultural pests, beetles. Yeah, one bat can eat, what, like 10,000 insects in a night or something like that? Yes. Yeah. And, you know, especially with everyone so concerned about pesticides and, you know, kind of going to organic farming, you know, bats had it figured out long before we did how to take care of pests. So, yeah, they're fantastic for the environment. Yeah, great for the environment, but they do uh, present a problem if they're, uh, if we, cl- close living spaces with the with sure. humans, is if they're in our living space, uh, yeah, there's always the potential. And as far as being aggressive, they're mm-hmm. not aggressive, but you definitely want to educate people not to handle bats. Okay. If, if you're around bats, uh, don't pick them up. Uh, if, uh, if, okay, so let's say um, somebody walks into their home or an office building and they spot a bat, where will they usually find it? On the floor, dangling, not, or will it be on the, on the ceiling? Where, where are bats normally well, found? If, if it's a healthy animal mm-hmm. it's going to usually be up on the ceiling okay they're flying they're flying around they'll usually land up on the ceiling areas are they afraid of light or do they normally like dark places yeah they usually like a darker place so okay. they usually stay away from the light lighted areas okay um does light scare them does light uh blind them what does light do to them well they actually uh there's a misconception that they have poor eyesight mm-hmm. and that's that's not true they can they can see fairly well so uh, they do not like the light, so they usually stay stay away from the lighting. So yeah, I think I think for bats, you know, if they're out in the light, then it's easier for predator to pick them off. Um, but you know, as far as if you find a bat in your house, um, you know, I always like to talk about different actions that you know soldiers or spouses, whoever is listening, should take. You know, number one, um, like Mike said, you don't want to touch it. Um, depends on where the bat is. You know, if it's in an area where it could have, you know, possibly bitten somebody without that person knowing, like if it's in a room with an unattended child, if it's in an area where people are sleeping, if it's in an area in close proximity with someone who, um, you know, might be mentally disabled and can't reliably tell if he or she has been bitten or in an area with someone who's been intoxicated, you know, any of those cases, um, you should really assume that, uh, worst case scenario, bat has bitten somebody. 
And in that case, you know, not all bats carry rabies. It's only about 6% that do. But, you know, they're one of the more dangerous animals we have in America for transmitting rabies uh, because a lot of times people will be bitten by bats without knowing about it. Uh, for example, in the last... Um, it's possible to get bitten without knowing it? Absolutely. Especially if, you know, you're asleep, if someone's intoxicated, um, you know, any of those examples I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they they have such small teeth that they can bite uh, without people knowing about it. And in, in America, we've done such a great job and spent, you know, billions of dollars over the last 50-plus years um, really, you know, fighting rabies that there are only a handful of deaths, you know, each decade. But since 1997, uh, out of the 19 deaths due to rabies, 17 of those uh, were due to bats. Okay. Um, so, you Which know, you normally only need to be concerned about that if you are asleep in a room or rather you wake up in your room and then you find a bat in your room at the same time, you might you should probably question whether you were bitten or not. Exactly. Because the bottom okay. line is, you know, if you can't tell... Whether you or somebody in your aunt, in your family was, you know, definitely not bitten, then the best thing to do is, um, you know, try to get the bat. For example, you know, if you come into your room at night or your kid's room in the middle of the night or in the morning and there's a bat flopping around on the ground, then, you know, get a box, get something, throw it over that bat, and then call up uh, pest control and, you know, you want to keep that bat because uh, with that bat, you can take it to public health, you can take it to veterinary services, and then we can send that animal off um, to see if it, you know, has rabies or not. And that way, you know, by testing the animal, um, we can save you or somebody else, you know, going through the series of the uh, post-exposure vaccines for rabies. Okay. Uh, do we know if any of the bats on Fort Riley are potential carriers of rabies? I think there's always a potential okay. for, for carriers of the, of the bats. But we don't know of any cases. So, in which Lent- yeah, I can speak to this a little bit. You know, out of any of the bats that we've tested from Fort Riley, we have not had any carriers. Okay. Um, for the state of Kansas, um, the average is pretty close to the national average, which is about five to six percent of bats that are submitted for testing um, do come back as positive for rabies. So, you know, again, the possibility is out there, just like any mammal, you know, bats can carry rabies. Um, In this area, skunks are kind of the larger population of animals that usually carry it. But, you know, anytime um, somebody may have been bitten by a mammal, whether it's a skunk, raccoon, coyote, bat, you know, in these cases, um, dog, cat, we have to, you know, go through kind of the process of determining how likely it is that that animal may or may not have had rabies. Okay. But at the, the, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to go back to the, um, as far as capturing the animal, uh, the housing on post housing, uh, you need to call the the local neighborhood office. and uh, they, they actually have a contracted pest control specialist that will come out and get the bat. Okay. Uh, for, for offices and um, some of the barracks, uh, they need to call, contact the uh, Public Works uh, Service Order Desk, and that, that's 239-0900. 
Um, and they actually have pest control specialists that will come out. Will pest control come out and try to kill it or just uh, remove it from the building? They will remove, but depending on the situation, if it is a situation where the bat has been in a room with, with somebody, they will keep the bat. They'll keep the bat. Okay. Yes. All right. Um, but even though there is, uh, folks should be concerned about them, they shouldn't be alarmed. Would you agree? Yeah, just as long as the the bat is not in a in a living quarters, they I mean there should be concern there. But if they're usually in a in a household situation, if the bats are in the attic, uh, they're usually there. They're they're in the the structure uh, for a seasonal time during the summertime, especially with the maternal colonies that are having the young. Uh, then they during the winter time, a lot of times they're going elsewhere to to hibernate. Um, so yes, a lot of times they're on the outside of the buildings. There's there's not a big worry there. The other issue that you could have if you had large numbers of bats in the attic, uh, with the buildup of guano, the feces of the bat, okay. would be another issue. And you normally know it's there because because of the odor. Okay. And then uh, and there could be some respiratory issues you could be dealing with there. So that's another reason they would they'd want to uh, maybe target that that residence for uh, exposure okay. uh, to remove the bats um, uh, and seal off the house. Okay. If homes don't have attics, are they pretty much scot-free that they'll have, they, they won't have bats coming in there to roost? Not necessarily because the bats will, they'll find if there's any, any uh, way of a bat getting into a, a structure, they can squeeze through a, a crack that's a quarter inch. Hmm in size so they can really squeeze through some tight spots and okay. and if there's a suitable place for them to stay so during the whether day, it's in inside or outside they'll every now and then people should check their attics check the check the top of uh, their homes uh certain structures where they can imagine bats um uh, roosting or colony colonizing you should periodically go and check those out to see if there's uh, droppings of bats or things like that. A lot of times there'll be indicators. The the odor, especially okay. if there's a large colony, uh, you'll definitely uh, have have some odors from the from the guano. Um, but the other indicators, if you're seeing, yeah, sometimes you can hear the bats. If there's if there's large numbers, you could hear them. Um, uh, sometimes there'll be chattering uh, you can hear some movement uh, like some scratching almost sounds like a rodent uh, rodents up uh, in the attics um, also you can you can see on the outside if there's if there's a couple of areas where they'll use the same entrance each night uh, the bats have a, 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 an oil on their fur and skin that they'll leave on those entrances so I see. you can see those the the entrances and they'll usually be a kind of a black, uh, oily resin around those entrances. Will they be found in the attics or in those areas during the day or just mainly at night? Uh, daytime. Nighttime, they're usually feeding. Okay, so, so they'll, 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 they'll be, be out. leaving. But they'll come back. A lot of times what they'll do is they'll leave They'll leave to feed early, right, at, right when it gets dark, and then um, they'll feed for a while, and then they usually have secondary roost areas where they might roost on the outside of the house mm -hmm. or under a bridge or something. And then they'll come back to the... Okay, so they'll use it as a sleeping quarters. Yes. Essentially during the yes. daytime. Yes. Okay. Great. Great. Well, anything else that you guys want to uh, close with or add to that discussion? I think we've, we've 
touched on all the concerns here and uh, some of the ways to address them. Yeah, if anybody has questions on bats on Fort Riley, uh, they can call uh, call my office. Uh, we're located at the end of, south end of the artillery parade field at Building 407, and our phone number is uh, 239-6211. And uh, in this region, you also have to be concerned about mosquitoes, uh, the vector uh, West Nile virus. Uh, so around the yards, you know, you want to make sure that you keep your uh, your the water levels down, like on your birdhouses. You know, change it out, you know, uh, frequently, and just keep your you know your uh, yard nice and manicured. Um, if you have tires or any kind of debris in your yard, you know, just just making sure that uh, you know you don't let water collect in in those little uh, crevices, because uh, it only takes about a cup full of water to breed out you know hundreds of mosquito larvae, and. Um, Again, you know, come by our office and, uh, you know, we're, we're giving out free repellent, you know, for your uh, skin and for your uh, outfits. And um, if, if you wanted to uh, turn in a uh, tick that, that you find on your skin, uh, we can also, uh, you know, turn that into the Lyme Lab uh, on the East Coast and, and they'll run uh, diagnostic testing on there to see if there's any pathogens that, you know, could be problematic. Okay, so when they remove a tick from their body, they should keep it or keep put it in a bag or somehow. somehow. Okay. Or a baggie any kind of container and uh, you know, bring it in and we'll send it off, have it tested. Okay. You know, that will just give the provider a more informed decision what's going on with that, that case. And don't forget your pets. Pets can get sick from insects too, uh, especially mosquitoes. Those can carry heartworm disease. So definitely talk to your veterinarian about the preventatives for uh, fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, all this stuff. We take their ticks also. Okay. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. And something else, uh, down at the environmental office at Building 407, we have a, a pocket guide on hazardous plants and animals at Fort Riley, and they can come down and, and get an issue of that. And it has everything from sp spiders, ticks, to snakes in the area. Okay. And thanks again, folks, for coming on the show and taking the time. Uh, for you listeners out there who may wish to reach out to us and give us feedback or suggestions on future topics uh, or providers that you'd like to listen and hear, check us out on facebook.com slash Irwin Army Community Hospital. You've just listened to the IAC Medicine Podcast, brought to you by the Irwin Army Community Hospital Public Affairs Office. Until next time, be well and choose IAC. Take care, folks.